send warm greetings to you from Emmanuel Bible Church in Malden, South Carolina. And in the video, there's a sentence that's repeated three times. God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy churches. And a few of our supporters said, that's a pretty cool phrase. Uh, Did you come up with that? (laughs) But the question I wish they would have asked me is is, is that phrase rooted in Scripture? Is it really true that God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy churches? If we're going to spend, if the Lord allows us, the next 30 years of our lives in northern Philippines, partly motivated by that sentence, we would like to know if that sentence is really true. Or did I just make it up? It just sounds cool. Or it just sounds like John Piper. Well, this sentence is actually a major thesis in one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, which is the letter to the Ephesians. Um, This letter to the Ephesians is one of those letters that Paul is not addressing any specific issue that's going on in the church. Uh, Like the church, like 1 Corinthians, for example, there's lots of problems, and Paul is like, hey, here's your problems, and here's the solutions to your problems. Here's what you're doing wrong. Or in Galatians, there's some false teaching, and Paul is trying to correct that. Or even in Colossians, there's some false teaching that Paul is trying to correct. In the letter to the Ephesians, that's why some um, unbelieving Bible scholars believe Paul did not write this because there's, there's no personal touch, even though Paul mentioned his name twice. Because it's, it's not an occasional letter. There's no occasion. There's no something that would prompt him to write. But basically, he writes because he wants to teach something. And that is not unusual because he does that in other letters like Romans, heavy on teaching. Though, though there might be a reason why he's doing that teaching. But, but this is common for the Apostle Paul that he writes to churches that he loves so that he could teach them some deep doctrines. So here in this letter, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus to teach them this reality that God displays His glory most visibly through healthy churches. Two questions I want to ask. I think the, the, the letter is answering. So these are the two questions the letter is answering. So I'm going to ask these questions. What is God doing in the world today? First question. And second question, How should we live in light of what God is doing? And that kind of divides the letter evenly. First three chapters of Ephesians, what is God doing in the world today? The last three chapters of Ephesians, how should we live in light of what God is doing? Well, let's read the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him ye also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of His glory." Since we're trying to cover the whole letter of Ephesians, we're not going to spend time on every single thing that's going on on this list, although it is worth spending time on these things. In the original language, verse 3 to verse 14 is actually one sentence. If you're an English grammar nerd, you would say, well, that's a lot of run-ons. Mark it with red, Paul. But well, what's happening here? Why is this one long sentence? Paul is going on a list of, of spiritual blessings that the Father has given to his people. This means the list is not even exhaustive. He's just running on a list. Here are the spiritual blessings that you have from the Father because of Christ. Here are they. And then he just goes on a, on a machine gun list. It's like... Um, this list is intended to, to, to overwhelm us. It's like when you're announcing, um, you know, this is, this is a sports, um, I, I, uh, I observe a sports city, a sports town. It's like introducing an, an, an athlete. You're introducing an athlete, right? And you list some accolades. It's not meant to be exhaustive. There are probably other things that this guy won since he was in junior high, Right? You know, but you list them. You six-time champion, six-time finals MVP, five-time most valuable player, 14-time all-star, 10-time NBA first team, two-time slam dunk contest champion, 1988 defensive player of the year, two-time Olympic gold medalist from North Carolina. You list all these things, and it's supposed to like, whoa, who is this guy? The same with this list. Paul is just telling you list after list after list after list of all that you have in Christ, and it's supposed to like, whoa, I have all these things. And now I'm going I'm to take the time to like, what, what does each item mean, and how does that affect my life? And, and, and that's all good. We don't have time to do that, but, but I encourage you to do that. That's what this list is meant to do. It's to overwhelm us with the spiritual blessings that God the Father has poured to us in Christ. 
Another thing, who is Paul writing to? And we, we've mentioned to the saints in Ephesus. And it's true that all these realities are true for each individual believer. Like, yes, God has chosen me before the foundation of the world. God has adopted me into His family. I have forgiveness of sins. I have the promised Holy Spirit. I have redemption through Christ. And those are all true. But I want you to notice how Paul said these things. In verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus, who has chose us in Him, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He predestined us. You kind of notice what I'm trying to emphasize. This is plural, plural personal pronouns. Paul is saying, he's not just saying like, yeah, God has blessed you, Christian, you know, brother, sister. Paul is saying he has blessed you, congregation in Ephesus. There's a plural emphasis. In fact, every single you in this letter is a plural you. So in South Carolina, we say y'all, right? Uh, and, and it's hard in English because when you see you, you're thinking, oh, me. You know, that's, that's me. Um, but, but in other languages, sometimes they differentiate the you singular and the you plural. Here, we don't see it in English, but, but it's you plural. So when you're reading the book of Ephesians and you see the word you, maybe you can even write in the margin of your Bible, that's plural. That's you plural. That means everything that God is doing is for you, the church. You, God's people. He has saved you. God is saving for himself, not just individuals, but a people. And sometimes we don't think that way. We think individually. That's, a, that's common in a Western mindset. In an Oriental, Eastern mind, they always think of themselves in plural. Like my relationship within a group. I'm, I'm of our father Abraham. I'm, we are, oh, you Samaritans. Or... Um, you know, we, they, they always think of ourselves in, 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 in plural, in groups. So they don't say God saved me, but they say God saved us. Last observation. Well, maybe not the last one. Another one. Um, there is a refrain going on through all this, this, this prayer of blessing. Um, the spiritual blessing in Christ. If you see... Verse, uh, in verse, um, verse 6. All these things the Father has done, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And then you see this again in verse... I lost it. Um, I lost the middle one. Verse 11. In Him we will obtain the inheritance... Having predestined us according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Um, where did He go? Verse 12. So that we who were in hope, who first hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. You see that verse 6, verse 12. Um, in, you see in verse, verse 14. Uh, the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. 
Why is God the Father doing all these things? Well, because he loved us. True. Well, why does he love us? He just does. But why? Well, Paul tells us the answer, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, repeated three times in this one complex sentence. So what is God doing? God is saving a people for his glory. That's what God is doing. God is saving a people, pouring spiritual blessings on them for his glory. That's the motivation of why God is doing these things. I understand a lot of these things could be complex to understand, theologically deep. And Paul actually does not assume that we would understand everything all at once. So as he is writing this letter, the, the, the Ephesian church are probably reading this for the first time. I'm like, Paul, this is too deep for us. Uh, some of us here are just newly Christians, you know. Well, Paul says, for this reason, verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what is Paul praying for them? The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So that, you, so that God will give you wisdom and so you would know about these things that I'm writing about. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope that which you have been called, that which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. There's just great things that God is doing in the world today, and you're part of it, and we might not understand every single thing, and that's why I'm praying, as Paul says, I'm praying that your eyes will be opened. And that's a prayer that we could pray today. Like, man, Ephesians 1, there's so many things. I, just, I don't even understand. I don't even know how that makes sense. I don't even know how can he choose me before the foundation of the world. I'm not even born yet. This is just so complex for my mind. Paul says, that's why I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom would open your eyes, would enlighten your eyes, the, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. That you would know this grand things that God is doing in the world and you're a part of it. He's doing this, all these things in Christ. That he worked in Christ, verse 20. When he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And this is what he did in Christ. He put all things under his feet. Everything is under the authority of Christ. And gave him as head over all things to the church. God's plan in making Christ the authority and the ruler of all things has some connection with Christ being the head of the church. It gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who feels all in all. That means Christ is head over all things. Everything is under his feet, but not the church. He's the head of the church. The church is his body. The church is part of how he rules all things. God's plan, God's great 
grand plan that he has been planning on doing before the creation of the world to all eternity. That's what verse, uh, verse 21 is saying. Um, not only in this age, but also to the one to come. This is his grand plan. What is God doing in the world today? He is trying to make Christ head over all things. All glory to Christ and to the church. He uses the church as the means to make Christ the head and ruler of all things. How is Christ the head? How do we show the supremacy of Christ? How do we show the kingship of Christ? It's through the church, his body. And so when Jesus, King Jesus, resurrected from the dead, his last words to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. I have all authority. And because of that, what does he say? Go make disciples. Be an embassy of my authority. Represent my authority in this world. And keep spreading. Keep spreading my authority. Keep spreading my supremacy. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And teach them all things that I have commanded you. Why? Because I have all authority. And now I'm sending you. I'm commissioning you. And so we see this is what God is doing in the world. God is exalting Christ. And as he exalts Christ, the church is the one that represents Christ for the world. So God is saving for himself a people for his, to the praise of his glory. That's what God is doing in the world today. And he's using the church to do that. And Paul kind of makes it more personal. As we get to chapter 2, well, I'm going to make it even more personal about you, but still thinking in, in, in corporate ideas. And you, remember, you is plural, right? And you, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, children appointed to wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a description of every single human being born in this planet. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of the world, according to what the culture says, according to what my peers would like. Following the prince of the power of the air, children of disobedience, you do not, and I have a one-year-old, you do not teach kids how to disobey. They just do it. They just do it. The very first time, he's not even one. He was, I can't remember, six months? You just tell him, hey, stop, stop. You know, is it trying to touch the electric, electric, the electric current? Stop. And he looks at you. He says, mm -mm -mm. I'm going to touch this thing. Where did you learn that? Sin that's in us. But this is what happens. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. It is the Christ who died for our sins. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those who believe in Christ and repent of their sins because of this great love and this great sacrifice of Christ, we are now in Christ together with him and raised up with him from dead to now alive, being alive in him. But why? Okay. Why? Why did God save us from walking in darkness? Verse 7 tells us why. So that, why all this? So that in the coming ages, he might show or showcase the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why is God saving a people for himself to the praise of his glory so that he could showcase the trophies of his grace? Um, what do trophies do? Well, some people, trophies, they stay in the attic, you know. Like, yeah, you won that, congratulations. Now, we don't have space, put it in the attic. Um, some people, they display trophies. I think that's what it's meant to do. Um, you know, if you have a trophy, you know, chili cook-off champion 2021, right? And you want to tell people, if you invite people over, man, we're the chili cook-off champions. Um, or, you know, best smile 1954. Um, so you can say, you know, back in the day, I got that killer smile, you know, and you have proof. And that's your glory. That's your glory. Like, chili cook-off champions, right? That's your glory, or that's your, and, and the trophy is, is showing that, it's showcasing that glory. Wow, what an achievement. Best smile. Chili cook-off champion, right? When God displays, he showcases, when he showcases his grace, what is he showing? He's showing, look at the church. These people were sinners. These people have nothing to do with God. These people are rebels, children of wrath, children of disobedience. But now they're seated at the table. But now they want to please God. Now they want to worship God. What happened? It's my grace. It's a showcase of His grace. It's supposed to say, wow, what a gracious Savior. And this is to show all principalities and powers and rulers to the angels, look at the grace of God. And to angels, this is a surprising thing. Um, in one of the parables, Jesus would say, whenever a soul repents, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And it makes me wonder, like, why is this the case about angels? About angels, it's more like sidebar, right? <laughs> Getting in trouble, all this sidebar stuff. Angels... When they rebelled against God, what happened? Kicked off, kicked out, you're kicked out from, from heaven. No grace, that's it. There's no second chance. You follow Satan, you follow, that, that's it. But for mankind, when Adam rebelled with Eve, God said, I'm, I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a serpent crusher. 
and I'm going to redeem mankind by the second person of the Trinity becoming man himself, taking on humanity and forever will be a human. Angels did not receive that. And so when they see this, they're like, whoa, look at this, another, another grace of God. Another grace of God. Another grace of God. And look at the church. There you see it. An evidence that God is gracious. And that brings glory to God. God is receiving his people to display his glorious grace. And when he does this, he's uniting each person that he saves and putting them into a body, the church. Um, Verse 11, chapter 2, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, Gentiles and then the Jews, um, that you were at one time separated from Christ. The Jews had the privileges of knowing the Old Testament, knowing the promises that a Messiah would come. The Gentiles, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know who among us here are Jews. Um, we have Jewish blood, maybe, maybe some. But we're mostly Gentiles here. And, and this, this, may, this is significant because Jews and Gentiles, they don't get along. How do people get along together? How do people who are so opposite get along? How are, in, in where, I, where, I, where I live, how are Duke fans and North Carolina fans, how can they get along, right? How? How, how are people from China and from Philippines, how could they get along when China is taking away, taking, taking over some Philippine islands, and that's a question they raised. And I, as a Filipino, was actually teaching at a Christian school located in China. And I have many Chinese friends that I love. That doesn't matter because we have one thing in common. And it's not politics. It's not sports. It's the gospel. We have one Christ. By Christ, he abolished the law, the commandments, expressed in ordinances, creating himself one new man. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are, no lo- you are now fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or family of God. And the church represents this. Built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place. Each part is being built together, built from the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's a picture of the church being each, each block, each member being added on. And here's the structure. God is saving his people for his glory 
And as he's doing this, he's uniting them as one body in Christ. He's not just saving individuals. He's saving a people. Why? Why is he doing this? We keep asking why. We've seen in chapter 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. In chapter 2, we've seen why. So that he would display his grace and showcase his grace. We ask the same question, why is God doing this? Chapter 3 gives us an answer. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's plan all along. This is eternal purpose. That through the church, through the people that God is saving, he is showing the cosmos. He is showing to the heavenly places, to all angelic beings, his manifold wisdom, his plentiful wisdom. How can you put people that hate each other, love each other in one body together? How do you do that? How do you do the impossible, right? Showing the wisdom of God. How do you save people who are rebels and sinners, whose hearts are darkened, who, who are dead? How can you make them alive? My grace is going to do that. It's all showing, man, all glory to Christ. All glory to Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what God is doing. And so Paul prays and ends this chapter. Paul prays. For this reason, I bow my knees, verse 14, chapter 3, for whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to what? Strength to what? To comprehend these things are deep things. And so Paul prays the second time that you will have strength to comprehend with whom? Verse 18, strength to comprehend with all the saints together. That we would understand these deep things together. To comprehend with all the saints what? The breadth, the length, the height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus so that they would know that God is saving people, that they be being part of a church together, they have spiritual blessings. You have blessings that are incredible. This is my plan from eternity past. Paul is, is showing show you behind the curtain a little bit. What is God Planning and orchestrating. To show you a little bit. This is like a director's cut from a movie. You know, how did they create this thing? It's just pretty good, pretty amazing. Hey, here's the behind the scenes. That's the letter of Ephesians. It's behind the scenes of what God is trying to do and what God has planned to do and is now doing in the world today. And if you're part of a church, you're part of that. 
And if you're a guest here, like, I'm not really part of church. I'm, I'm just visiting. I'm just trying to figure all these things out. Well, Paul writes in, in, in what we've read earlier that you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not by your works. And if you're relying on your works to save you, that's not, that's not going to, your works is never going to be enough. And the call is for you to repent and believe that this Christ who died for our sins is enough to save you. And this is God's grace offered to you. Would you receive it? And if you're here, you're a Christian, like, man, this is maybe a little bit too much for me. Well, pray this prayer that you will have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, all this riches. These are riches. These are not meant to like, man, I'm just like, oh, I don't want it. I don't want to hear it anymore. This is just too much. No, these are riches. These are blessing. This is, this is, this is like a, uh, this is like a, coal, a diamonds made of coal, right? There's diamond inside. Just, just, just work a little harder, right? And then, and then there's diamonds. And, it, and then that's yours. And that's, that's something you can hold on to. This reality is greater realities beyond ourselves. And so Paul, after Paul prays for, for this knowledge, he ends with this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying, you know where God displays his glory? He displays his glory in the body, in the church, where people who are, who are sinners are now saved and alive. That's how where he displays his glory. Sure, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showed his handiwork. Yes, yes. But even more so, Grace and wisdom and glory are all filled here in the people. So all the, this is how God showcases this to, to angels and to the whole world. You, me, together is the trophy that God is saying, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. So every single church, every single church where people are, are believers God's glory is displayed in them. Every single church where that preaches the gospel, not churches that don't preach the gospel, that preaches good works, but every church that preaches is by grace through faith and not by our works, that church is displaying the glory of God. But the sentence doesn't say God displays his glory in the church, whether that's true. But it says, God displays his glory most visibly through healthy churches. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, that's the second half of the letter of Ephesians, where Paul is now going to make commands. First three chapters are heavy theology. Now it's going to be, what should I do? How should I live? Because in light of that theology. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk or to live a life 
in a manner worthy of the calling to which ye have been called. This great things that God has planned from eternity past that involves your life, if you're a believer, now walk worthy of that calling, of that plan. And the entire three chapters is all about that. Some people um, uh, summarize this four, five, six into um, five walks and one stand. Because you see here, Paul says, walk worthy, don't walk as the Gentiles, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, and stand against the devil. And those are good, it's probably good, probably the best way. Um, but I'm going to summarize it differently, the more tangible sentences here. Um, and we're going to move quickly. Six, right? Six things. Six quick things. How do we live in light of this reality that God displays His glory in the church? Well, God is saving His people for His glory. And this glory is displayed in the church. And so God's glory is displayed most visibly through, first, church unity. Paul says, how do I walk worthy a walk worthy in a manner worthy of this calling. Verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is not something we create. It's something that we maintain. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The, the unity is created already by the gospel. The gospel has already created the unity. And so if you're not clear on the gospel... I'm not sure you're clear as you're part of this unity. The gospel is the one that creates the unity. If you're unclear about the gospel, I'm not sure really who Jesus is. I'm not sure if he's really God. Or I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about the Bible, if, if everything in the Bible really is true or there's some errors in the Bible. Well, how can you be sure if part of the gospel really is true? Uh, if you have some... Uh, some unclear things about truths about the gospel, then you're outside that realm of unity. Because the gospel is what creates, Christ is what creates the unity. But the goal of those who are now united in Christ through the gospel is to maintain that unity. And you maintain that unity by what? With all humility, the fruit of the Spirit, humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another or putting up with one another in love. And when a church does that, God's glory is displayed to a church because these are people who are sinners, they're now saved, they display God's glory. But if that church is putting up with one another in love, being humble and gentle and patient with one another and maintaining the unity, God's glory is displayed most visibly. You are making the glory of God most visible. Like, hey, look! Not only is this a diamond, it's polished diamond. It's shining because of our unity. Second, God's glory is displayed most visibly through godly leaders using their gifts of preaching and evangelism and discipleship. Verse 7, um, the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What are these gifts? Verse 11. 
And he gave the gift. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to the church. For what reason? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God's gift to the church are these, these men, apostles, prophets. Now those are offices that we no longer have. The evangelists, people gifted in sharing the gospel. Shepherds or pastors and teachers. When this is happening in the church, when we're raising up leaders and training more pastors, more teachers, more elders, more teachers, what you're doing is you're displaying God's glory more, more, most visibly. And what do they do? They equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They don't do the work of the ministry, or they do. But their main task is to equip the church, the church, the whole church does the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. They're having this culture of ministry. What's ministry? Well, evangelism and discipleship. I'm sharing the gospel and I'm helping someone grow in the gospel. And the role of the pastor is to equip and to help. I'm going to help you. This is how you share the gospel. This is how you help someone grow in Christ. Maybe read this book together. And then you do it. And then you do it. And then it becomes a culture. It becomes a normal thing. It's a normal thing that a church is just sharing the gospel wherever you are. I have this coworker, I have this neighbor, I have this friend, I have this classmate. Oh, and, and here in the body, there's this brother, there's this sister. Maybe we could read, uh, I don't know, the gospel of John together. And we're all growing in the, in the knowledge of Christ through this, through this reading. What's happening? There's a culture of evangelism, a culture of discipleship. And what's, what's going on is that when that is happening, God's glory is displayed most visibly. God's glory is already there, but it's another, another rubbing of that diamond. Here, there's now, there's now, shot, there's, there's now that, I don't know what you call that, that, that star on the diamond. It's like, oh, you can see it from afar, like, it's polished. Third, from 4.17, now this I say, chapter 4.17, and testifying the Lord that you must no longer work, walk, sorry, no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or those who are non-Christians, like your life when you were no longer a Christian, in the futility of their minds. Their mind has been darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous, given themselves to sensuality, greedy, to practice of every kind of impurity. Don't walk like this. Why? Verse 20, because that is not the way you learn Christ. That's not how followers of Christ should live. And then he says this interesting phrase, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about Christ and were taught in Christ, as the truth is in Jesus. There's this assumption in Paul in saying, you're a member here, so I'm already assuming that you have learned Christ. You have known about Christ. And so I'm assuming that you're not going to walk like in this life. Instead, you're going to walk a holy life. This is a practice of, can I say it this way? Holy living and meaningful membership. You become a member, we're assuming that you're now followers of Christ. That's, that's what verse 21 is saying. Assuming that you have learned Christ. 
So we expect that you would not live this way. But how, how should you live then? I'm just going to read the text. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away falsehood, that each one of you speak the truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you, along with malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Here is the context of the church again. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Paul keeps going on to verse 14. And, and the point's not like we're going to be perfectly holy. But the trajectory of your life, because of Christ, you're now, the trajectory is now growing. And you need the church to help you grow. The more I know Christ, the more I grow. So God's glory is displayed through, most visibly through our unity, through godly leaders, using the gifts of preaching, evangelism, and discipleship, and creating that culture. And third, through meaningful membership and holy living. Number four, through corporate worship. Chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns. One another, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a regular practice. A church that does that displays God's glory most visibly. Number five, through healthy family relationships. You have all this whole list of husbands and wives and children and parents. Um, a church where all the husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church is a church that displays God's glory most visibly. You're displaying by your loving your wife, this is how Christ died, gave himself for his bride, the church. In the same way, that's how when wives submit to their husbands, it's showing how the church submits to the headship of Christ. And how children obey their parents, you're showing how for this is right, you're demonstrating the righteousness of God. It's not just, I'm just doing this because I have to. No, I, I'm going to obey because it demonstrates the righteousness of God. I'm displaying the glorious righteousness of a righteous God by my obedience. That changes our motivation a little bit. And maybe what my parents are asking me to do is stupid. But you know what? I'm displaying the righteousness of God by doing this. I hope that motivates you. And and. and Parents, we are displaying how God the Father has been kind to us, nourishes us, cares for us, and growing us if we are being parents like the Father is to His children. So healthy family relations in the church displays the glory of God. Last, 
And Paul says last, because chapter 6, verse 10 says, finally, there you go. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Against the devil? Sometimes we think of this, if you grew up in a Christian home like me, I think of this as like, oh, Christians, yeah, we got the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, we're ready to fight. Remember, the you in Ephesians is plural. The picture is not one Roman soldier with all his, you know, weapons and, and safety armor. It's a group of soldiers. So here's how I summarize this. God's glory is displayed most visibly through church fighting sin together. You need one another to fight sin. You can't do it on your own. You need the church. And so is it true that God's glory is displayed most visibly through healthy churches? And I would say, yes, Ephesians says yes. And this is God's plan from eternity past. This is what he's doing today. And we had a privilege to, to be part of this. And that's why we're motivated to go to the Philippines, because we want to see this. We want to see God's glory displayed through healthy churches in the islands of Luzon. And I'm sure you, if you're part of the branch, you want to see that happening even in Corvallis, Oregon. Let's pray.